Let's ask for the Lord's blessings. We thank you, Almighty God, for who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God. We praise your holy name. We exalt you. There is, as you have said, I am God and there is no other. And so we we magnify your name. We thank you that you inspired your prophets and apostles by your spirit to give us a sure word that is far greater than anything that we could ever see with our own eyes. For your word is most sure and true. And so be with us. Give us the anointing of the Holy Spirit that to illumine our minds to behold wondrous things out of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We are in John chapter 14. And this evening, going to take a look at primarily verses 15 through 20. We know this portion of the scriptures is Jesus's upper room discourse, or as some say, his farewell discourse. He is seeking to encourage his disciples. They have, he perceived that they were troubled, troubled by what, uh, the fact that someone was going to betray him. They were also troubled when he says, I'm going to leave you, uh, and I'm going to go to a place right now where you can't go. That troubled them. He says, later on you will come. And so he's trying to encourage them. And we saw an emphasis last week. He told them he is the only way to the Father. He said, I'm going to go to the Father. And he says, but you have um, you have seen the Father. They wanted to know, especially Philip, how... Have we seen you, the Father? He says, well, you have seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You have seen the Father through the words that he gave me to speak to you. You have seen the Father through the works that I have done on behalf uh, through the power of the Father. And he told his disciples, we ended this last week, you're going to do greater works than than what I did. He thought, well, how can that be? We've seen all those magnificent works that the Lord Jesus uh, did in in healings, magnificent healings. But but he said, because I go to the Father, you're going to do greater works. And we saw that the best way to understand that, how are they going to do greater works? Well, they're going to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Remember, Jesus never ministered outside the confines of Israel. and But the, but the disciples will take the gospel to the world. And so that greater works is going to be in through the preaching to the Gentiles, particularly through the Apostle Paul. Now, Jesus... If we notice in there, remember in verse 12, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, we we have to understand these 
these wonderful promises regarding prayer in the context to which Jesus gave it. And we know we have to, we, we have to interpret, we can never interpret one place of Scripture to contradict another place of Scripture because the Scripture is a unified whole. All of Scripture is without error. So praying in, in Jesus' name, I mentioned last week, means to have the purposes of Jesus. The name of a person reveals their character. So we pray in Jesus' name. One of the most important ways to understand that is to pray with what is on the heart of Christ. And the world was on the heart of Christ. And so when you're praying, you should pray what will bring honor to me, what will exalt my name. And then he says, there is a condition. The condition to get uh, whatever we pray is to pray in his name that would honor him and his purposes. But then he, he mentions another thing. He says, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So when Christ is seeking to, to comfort his, his disciples, he says, you love me, if you keep my commandments, we can never expect the comfort from the Lord apart from obeying the Lord. So when we love Jesus, here's what we're going to do. We're going to accept whatever he says. We're going to obey, obey whatever he says. We're going to carefully seek to obey the word of God. Now, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to depart. And we know that they were grieving over the fact he says, I'm going to leave you. And if in his leaving, he says, you can show that you love me by obeying me. Obey my commandments. And if you obey my commandments, you're going to be blessed. We should never expect any blessing of God apart from obeying him. Now, let's understand, you, you and I, we all go through tough times, do we not? And our journey through this, as the scripture says, this, this veil of tears, we're going to go through tough times. How do we get through those tough times? By obeying the word of God. That's how we do it. It's the promises of God as revealed in the scriptures that's going to get us through. Complaining is not going to help anything. Complaining to others is not going to help. And by all means, complaining to God's not going to help. You know, I keep trying to uh, focus upon the ideas of if, if things aren't going the way I would like them and I get uh, maybe discouraged in some area and I, and I have a, a t maybe a tendency to think, well, it could be better. I have to stop myself and say, who am I really complaining against? And that kind of just brings me right back real fast. <laughs> because if I'm complaining about circumstances, who controls the circumstances but a providential God? So <clears throat> we get through these times. Jesus says, I'm going to help you get through this, but you're going to have to obey me and that's how you show that you love me. 
Now, notice in verse 15, um, in verse 15, Jesus, as a mediator, he's going to make a request to the Father on behalf of his disciples. And one thing is sure, and and the request that he asked the Father, well, what an incredible request that Jesus is going to make on behalf of his disciples. And here's the thing. The Father says, whatever the Son wants, I will give the Son whatever the Son wants. So if Jesus is going to ask the Father for something, you can guarantee the Father is going to do what the Son wants. The Father says he's going to give his disciples, another helper. Take a look at what Jesus is praying there in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Now this word helper, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. If you have the King James, it says comforter. I'm going to give you, the Father is going to give you another comforter. That word there in the Greek is the paraclete, meaning one who comes alongside of. Now, this other helper essentially is not different. Uh, it's, well, it's a different helper not in, in one way, but in another, Jesus says, it's one just like me. This other helper is going to take Jesus' place and do Jesus' work. Now, Jesus has already told them, I'm departing from this world. And his physical presence is going to be gone. That was bothersome to the disciples, and that's why he was seeking to encourage them. What greater way to encourage his disciples by saying, I'm going to ask the Father to do something for you that will give you a helper that's going to be far greater than what you've experienced heretofore. Because Jesus' physical presence was temporary, was it not? But by the Spirit that is going to be sent, there will be constant spiritual presence of Jesus with them. And this is an incredible gift of the Father to the disciples that Jesus asks. And I want you to turn over to to Romans chapter 9 to talk about this wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at, well, it's actually Romans 8, Romans 8 verses 9 through 14. Paul says here, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we are no longer obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, one of the main focuses here of that text in Romans is you and I, nobody can be a Christian without without the Holy Spirit. It is, who is it that regenerates our souls? Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You gotta be born of the Spirit and of water. You gotta have that, in other words, you gotta have the cleansing work which is what the Spirit does when he, when he comes into our life. He changes us, and as Romans 8 says, he gives us a whole new ability to obey what Jesus has commanded. And so we got to have the Spirit in order to be a Christian. Now, this, this helper, if you turn back to John 14, here in verse 17, we see that this helper is identified as the spirit of truth. As we're going to see next week when we get to John 14, verse 26, that this helper is none other than the Holy Spirit. That's who this helper is identified as. Well, let's digress just for a moment. It's not too much of a digression. And talk about the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the history of the church, there's been some confusion as to who is this spirit? What is this, this spirit? And this, this spirit is not some force, and it's not, trust the force, Luke, trust the force. It's not that. It's not some nebulous thing out here. No, the spirit is not simply a force. The spirit is a divine person. And this divine person of the Spirit is equal with the Father in glory and power and in substance. The Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity. Get out your Trinity hymnal, turn to the, in front of it to the Nicene Creed, and you're going to see where the, those at Nicaea, where they got some of the points in the Nicene Creed. So you're looking at the Nicene Creed. Go on down to the part where it says, about the middle way, it says, and he shall come again. He shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end, And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord, the Holy Ghost is called the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spake by the prophets." So what we see here, 
that portion of the creed we're going to see comes right out here, a lot of out of John chapter 14. We're going to see that there are divine, in the scriptures, divine attributes, attributes that are given to the Holy Spirit, such as eternity, omniscience, you knowing all things, uh, omnipotence, all-powerful, and there are divine works that are predicated of him. But to demonstrate in the scripture, because there are some, especially the cults, and particularly Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe, well, they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that the Son is equal with the Father and this idea of the Spirit is some kind of force. Let's take a look at a few passages in the New Testament that demonstrates that the Holy Spirit is a person. Well, first of all, we'll look at three passages. Turn uh, to Matthew 28. 28 verses 19 and 20, the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples prior to his ascension. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so in this blessing of the triune gods, it talks about the names of all three. It's persons who have names. Turn over to Acts chapter 5, verse 4. And we learn of an incident, an incident where you don't want to lie to the Holy Spirit like Ananias and Sapphira did. Um, when it had to do with goods, um, <clears throat> let's pick up, let's start at verse one. But a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, kept back some of the price for himself and his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived in this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So the Holy Spirit is God. You lie to a person. They lied to the person of the Spirit. And then turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verses 15 and 16. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, thus is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind I will write them. 
And so what we see here, the Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit is a person with the Father and the Son and has the divine attributes of that and does the works of God. Turn over to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus here was in uh, the synagogue in Nazareth and he speaks, when he was handed the, the book of the prophet Isaiah, he reads out of it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight. For the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Jesus' ability to do what he did to fulfill the role of Messiah, which is what he's quoting here, is predicated upon the fact it was the Spirit of God that enabled him to do it. Now remember when he got baptized, the spirit came down as a dove. God the Father spoke to him, said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus was empowered by the spirit. Now Jesus was God, we know that, in the flesh. But he was given power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that he did throughout his ministry. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And verse 13. wrong Thessalonians here. It is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to you, to God for you, brethren, beloved the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It is the Spirit who sanctifies us who makes us holy, who he sanctifies us, we're going to see, in the truth. What, what did Jesus said this helper was going to do? What is this helper called? The spirit of truth, there in John 14. And then in the, in the benediction uh, passage in 2 uh, Corinthians 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, so the Spirit is a person. The Spirit is a divine person. The Spirit comes to do divine works. Uh, 
that will glorify Jesus. Now, in our passage in John 14, 17, we see here that the Holy Spirit is given by the Father at the request of the Son. This is where part of what we get other than uh, the Nicene Creed, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father gives the Spirit, and the Son will send the Spirit. I know we're going to jump over, but just look at chapter 15 of John, verse 26. And it says here, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Probably there at the Nicene Creed relied more on John 15, 26 to say that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Jesus sends the Spirit to do his work. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father. He is the Spirit of Christ. And also we know if you, uh, in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, remember the Greek word for helper is paraclete, coming along the side of. John in his epistle in 1 John 2, 1 says this about Jesus. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now that word there, advocate, is paraclete. There's our word. There's the Greek word. A helper. Jesus says that with guarding himself. So now when Jesus is delivered up and killed, he's going to be leaving them in one sense, right? But while, the, while leaving them, there's going to be another helper that's going to be sent by the Father and Jesus. I'm going to leave you in one sense, but then I'm going to come to you in another sense. I'm going to come to you through this helper. So Jesus, as the first helper, in one sense, is physically absent on earth, and he's in heaven right now. The other helper will be on earth in the hearts of all of his disciples. And so the first helper pleads their case. He, Jesus pleads our case right now with the Father, we're told, in the book of Hebrews. And the second pleads God's case with him, the Holy Spirit. So when this second helper comes, Jesus says, he will never depart from the church. And this helper, when would, when, what was he talking about? What was the event that Jesus was talking about? The day of Pentecost is the event he's referring to. That's when he's going to send the helper in a special way 
Pentecost, I have said in the past, has to be viewed as one of the greatest events in human history. It changed the whole course of the world because the Holy Spirit will come in a way and will be with his people in a way heretofore no believer had ever experienced quite the same. And Pentecost, contrary to what some of our, some brothers and sisters may think, we try to get all, reenact Pentecost. Well, it's a, it's a special event in the history of the church. Jesus says this helper, this helper is, is the spirit of truth. So being the truth in person, he guides his people into the realm of truth. Jesus is the truth. But where do we learn about the truth is going to see right here? This is where we're going to learn about the truth. And we see that the world, uh, Jesus has said, the world cannot receive the spirit because the world does not know him. Turn over with me to to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And and look at verses 12 through verse 14. This is the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. So there's the contrast between the spirit, that we have the spirit, but not of the world. And it says, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural man, meaning an unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things Yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We, you and I have the mind of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The world can't understand. Have you ever wondered why people, you talk to them, and unbelievers, they just, they just don't get it. Well, there's a reason why they just don't get it. Because they don't have the Spirit instructing them. The natu- and, and, and that's why there's such hostility of the unbelieving world. It says, well, what's their attitude towards us? Is they think it's foolishness. As, as Paul said uh, there in first Corinthians, uh, first chapter of 1 Corinthians 1, he says, they consider the preaching of the gospel foolishness because they don't have, they don't have spiritual discernment. An unbeliever doesn't have spiritual discernment because they don't have the Holy Spirit abiding with them. 
you got to have the Spirit. So when we're talking to people, if we're, if we're witnessing to them, you know, one of the best things we could ever do is to be praying if, that God will have mercy on their soul and perhaps open their eyes by the power of the Spirit because they're not going to see, number one, they're not going to see the glory of the gospel unless God opens their eyes by the Spirit. I mean, that's 1 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. So it's the Spirit that gives that um, ability to know the things of God. Now, we, we all, Jesus said in John 14, 17, he said uh, his disciples, he said they do know the Spirit. And he says, he abides with you and will be in you. He's alongside of you, but he will be in you. Oh, what a blessing. See, there we're going to see how magnificent it is. Now, we do know from the scriptures, even in the old covenant, to be a believer, you couldn't be a believer without the Holy Spirit, okay? So you got to have the Spirit in order to believe, even if you were in the old covenant. Nonetheless, Jesus is saying the Spirit's going to come to you and going to abide in you, and he has to refer to a sense that's greater than what others have known before. And as we've said, Pentecost is going to change everything. And if you look at at John 14, verse 18, notice what Jesus says, and what, what a wonderful thing He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, we already know the disciples are troubled. That's why Jesus is speaking to them. And he's seeking to comfort them. He says, well, here's how I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to send you the comforter is what I'm going to do. And this comforter, he says, I... In my leaving of you physically, just think of this. When a a child loses both parents, what have they become? Orphans. They've lost their parents physically. And, I mean, that's traumatic, is it not? And Jesus says... I'm leaving you. I'm going to be killed. But it's, I'm not leaving you like an orphan. I'm going to come to you. He says, I'm going to come to you. And we're going to say, I'm going to come to you in a way that's going to be magnificent. And so the, the Holy Spirit's ministry is wonderful. The Spirit reveals, the Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. He's going to talk about Jesus say that. He's not going to glorify himself. He's going to glorify me when he comes. Jesus will say over in John chapter 16. It's the Holy Spirit that applies the merits of Christ to the hearts of believers. It is the Holy Spirit that makes the teachings of Christ effective in our hearts. You know what's amazing in the history of the church? 
for the longest time, there were not many books written on the Holy Spirit. And you go think, why? When, you, when we understand the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, particularly, why were not more books written on the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It is kind of odd. Jesus says, I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to come to you spiritually. I'm going to come to you in the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says here in verse 19. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. But you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. And then verse 20 he says, In that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Now in this context, Jesus says, In that day, He's talking about Pentecost. And that day I'm going to come to you. And when I come to you in that way, I'm going to give a communion. You're going to have a communion with me that you've never had before. This life uh, that, that you will have that is hid in Christ, it will be special. Now here's the Here's the difference between the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. For example, we have what happens in the Old Testament. You have the Spirit at times coming upon men for a special work and then leaving them. One of the, the, the most prime example of that is Samson. Now we're told uh, Samson had <clears throat> a special power, as you know. Uh, there in, in 1 Samuel 15, we have the recording of his own brethren tying him up to deliver him over to their enemy, the Philistines. And we're told in the scriptures, the spirit of of the Lord came upon Samson. And when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, what did he do? Their ropes did not hold him. And so he broke those, those ropes that they had tied uh, to bind him, to turn him over to the Philistines. So when the Philistines came, Samson, by the Spirit of God, picks up the jawbone of an ass and then eliminates 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone. <laughs> Talk about a feat. One man taking out 1,000 soldiers, oh, that's what happened. When the Spirit came upon him. We know uh, in, in Exodus, when Moses 
I had the 70 elders. The Spirit was poured out upon the 70 elders. But you see the difference between the old where the Spirit would come for a time, there was not the dwelling on a permanent sense. That changed when the helper was sent. That Jesus says, the Father has sent that I am sending you who will abide with you forever. He will never leave you. He will always be with you. As Jesus said when he, there in the Great Commissions, go out and disciple the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, teach them to do everything that I have taught, and I will be with you forever to the end of the age, to the end of the world. He will never leave us. We have the constant presence of the Holy Spirit. And he, this, this presence of the Holy Spirit is to be cherished. Because when you're down in the dumps, as I said, what, what are we supposed to do? He is the spirit of truth. And as Jesus is going to say in, in, in John 16, he will guide you into all truth. And we're going to see in John 17 says, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. You want to be encouraged by the Spirit who was sent by the Father? Get into the Word. Get into the Word. And it is, it is the Word of God that the Spirit is going to work. I will say this in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will never guide us independent of the scriptures, never. It will be consistent with the scriptures, not in contradiction. So if if someone says, well, I feel led to do this, what are you feeling feeling led to do? And they tell you and you go, no, you're not being led to the spirit. Who are you to say, I'm not led to the Spirit? I'm saying I'm led to the Spirit. Well, you just told me what the Spirit supposedly led you to do, and it's contrary to the Scriptures. Let me show you in the Scriptures where it can't be the Spirit because the Spirit will never tell you to do something contradictory to the Word of God. After all, Jesus said, He is the Spirit of truth, and thy word is truth. It's not going to be our feelings either, we're going to see. I'll maybe talk a little bit more on that next week. I mean, I, okay. My wife and I do, do like to watch some of the <laughs> Hallmark movies, although <clears throat> we, we always joke along the way sometimes, says, when, when's it coming? Follow your heart. <laughs> she joked the other night, she watched, you know, they've got another channel called the the. the family channel it's kind of competing with the hallmark and she said the other night she said she was watching an episode she said they 
They weren't going to mention follow the heart, and she didn't get out of her mouth until, guess what they said? Follow your heart. Well, we got to be careful about following our heart. Let's put it this way. Our heart better be uh, nourished with the word of God. I mean, you know, in a sense, if I follow my heart, now I'm saying I'm going to follow what the word of God says. The spirit is going to lead me according to the scriptures. And you see, you know how, I'm just going to ask you. How many times have you been discouraged and you gone to the scriptures and read some passage and then been encouraged and changed? Does that happen to you? Okay. I don't know how many times in my Christian life that's happened. And you and you know what? I, I, I have mentioned this. 35 years ago, when I was leaving a church, my first pastor, getting ready to come to Atlanta, <clears throat> was having to, to paint houses again just to put bread on the table. I fell and broke my back at the church mass there in Virginia. Everything was gone. I remember the elders of the church coming. The previous church said, John, we... How do you want us to pray for you? I remember lying there uh, in the hospital bed. I had crushed a couple vertebra. They were going to do surgery to try to repair it. I said, well, I've, I've lost every means to take care of my family. It's all gone. It's all gone. We were destitute. We were literally destitute. So you know what the what it did? I turned to Matthew six. Jesus says, Don't be anxious about tomorrow, what you're gonna eat, or what you're gonna drink, or what you're gonna clothe yourselves. The birds they don't gather into barns, and yet the Father feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. Solomon wasn't even arrayed like them. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added to you. What things? Everything you need. So I'm lying in a hospital bed. (laughs) Our family's destitute. And the peace of God flooded my soul. Because I believed the promise of the scriptures. Well, who do you think was leading me to the scriptures but the Holy Spirit? Who encouraged me, despite the circumstances looking really bad, why did I have hope? Because of the ministry of the Spirit, that's why, who took me to the Scriptures. And I don't know how many times in my Christian walk, when things have got tough, I just go out, spend time with the Lord in my prayer place, and open up the Word of God, and I am refreshed. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, brethren. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, taking us to the scriptures to encourage us. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for that blessed ministry of the Spirit. We thank you that he abides with us forever and no one can ever take it away from us. No one. Not even the devil himself. We are secure in Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you, you sent us the third person of the Trinity to abide with us forever, to teach us what you want us to do. Through your word, we praise and magnify your name. Amen.